Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of thine heart, and lean not unto thy own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Hey everyone, I'm Gavin. And it's me, Maddox. I just want to say that I really love and miss you guys, and I'm excited to see you all again whenever that may be. I love the online services because I'm able to worship with people that I know and I love. Yes, I! <laughs> Hi, Crossroads Church family. This is Mac. And this is Patty. We just wanted to let you know we was thinking about you, and we miss you, and we love you. Hey, Crossroads family. The Abbott family here. I'm Ted. I'm Crystal. And I'm James. Hi. Hey, we're, we're the, the Rogers, Rogers family. family. I'm Anthony. I'm Lindsay. This I, is Colton. I'm Colton. And this is Carson. This is, this is and we're excited for the service today. We're glad you could join us. Crossroads family, it's Selena. And Brian, we're the Larsons. We miss everybody. Hope everybody's staying safe. We love staying connected online, but we can't wait till we can praise and worship together. Hey, Crossroads family, this is Christy. This is Kate. And this is Jeremy. We miss you guys so much, and we cannot wait to get back to church with all of you. Yes. Love you all. Love yes. everybody. We love you all. Hello, everyone. We're the Davises. I'm Julius. And I'm Petra. We're part of the Crossroads. We love our Crossroads Church, and we love our Crossroads family. And we look forward to the time that we all can meet again together at the Crossroad. Hug and shake hands. In Jesus' name. Hello, everybody. This is Mike and Donna Bond. We just wanted to say hi to y'all. Hope y'all doing well. Hey guys, glad you made it to church on time. We are the Larsons and my name is Mike. Nathan. And my name is Zach. We miss going to church and seeing our church family. However, we like staying connected online. But always remember to stay positive, connected, and healthy. Hello from the elders. Good to have this opportunity to say hello to you. We miss everybody and we're praying for the whole church and uh, just waiting for the day we can get back together. Love everybody. Hello church people. And I miss you and I love you. Please have some church. Hi, I'm Carol Larson, grandma of the Larson family, and I'm happy to be here. Wish I could be with all of you in person. Miss hearing from you and getting those wonderful hugs in the morning. Hello, church family from the Brickbills. Hi. <laughs> love and miss you all. Looking forward to making up for all the missed hugs. God bless you. Bye. Bye. See you guys. Bye. Have a good one. Hello, Pastor and Sister Dummett and the Saints at the Crossroads Church. We just want to say a great big hello. We miss you and we hope you are doing well. We love you. I we love you. you. Thank you for all your prayers. Thank you so much. We appreciate each and every one of you and you're often on our minds. Thank you for your prayers and we love you from the Moreno family. I love you. Hi, Crossroads family. I love you guys. I hope you're all doing well. And I look forward to seeing you all again to worship God with you. Love you. God bless you. Hello, Hello everybody. everybody. This is Jasmine. Sister Kathy. Ashton. Julia. We love you guys. We miss you. And we look forward to getting together with you again soon. Thanks for staying connected with us. Until we get back. Let's, Let's have church in our homes. Hi, church family of the Hedges. We love and miss all of you so much. And we hope you all get to reconnect soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Praise the Lord, Crossroads Pentecostal Church. Que Dios los bendiga, hermanos. Es una bendición saludarlos. 
We give honor today to each and every one of you and to your pastors, brother and sister Demet and their great family. Amen. We are the Campbells on a mission with our new addition to Costa Rica, Luke, Samantha, and baby Asher. He just turned a year old this past week, and we give God glory and honor for what He has done and what in this great gift that He's given us. Amen. Amen. And so today we want to encourage you to lift your hands, to worship, to be encouraged today in song and in word. Dance today, sing today, lift your voice in victory, because we serve a God that is in control. So rest assured, my brothers and my sisters, that our God is in control today. Lift your hands, lift your voice. Shout unto God today because we have the victory. Amen. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let's have some church. Amen. It's church time. Do the same. 
I'm so thankful that you are with us tonight. And uh, this is the crossroads and this is our after Easter cyber revival. And when God put this into our spirit uh, to to have this revival and to host this, uh, one of the people that I felt God strongly impressed me to speak to uh, about speaking to us was Brother Raymond Woodward. He is a pastor of Capital Community Church in Fredericton, New Brunswick. Uh, he is well known all over the apostolic movement. He is a, an amazing teacher and a fantastic preacher. And uh, I am so thankful that he is my friend and I am excited to be able to hear the word from God that God has placed on his heart for us tonight. Amen. Why don't you uh, just put away everything else and, and get focused into what God is going to speak to you here in the next few moments. And uh, I believe that God is going to really do some things in your life. So God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Let's all welcome Pastor Raymond Woodward of Capital Community Church. Speak to us what God has placed upon your heart tonight. Praise the Lord, everybody. It is an honor to address you tonight and to share the word of the Lord with you. And even though these are unusual times, and this may even be an unusual format for preaching the word of God, I believe God is going to speak to us deeply through his word tonight. We're going to be working a little backwards, perhaps. We've just come through Easter, and yet I want to go and visit the crucifixion tonight. Felt this strongly ever since Pastor Dummett asked me to be part of this series of services. And I want to take you to Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. Paul writes, For when we were yet without strength, in due time... Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. It could happen. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. Once in a while we hear a story of some heroic action that saves another person at the sacrifice of their own life. It could happen. It might happen. But here's the thing about our God. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And now, he says, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. If Jesus loved us enough to reach for us, to die for us, to give his life for us, when we were sinners who hated him and opposed him, you can be sure that God is on your side as you serve him, you believe him, and you follow him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this opportunity, and I do pray tonight that as we talk about the greatest moment, the hinge of history, that you would take your word straight to the hearts of people. We are not resistant, we are receptive. Our hearts are open to your word tonight. Jesus, do what only you can do. Change lives and alter eternities tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, crucifixion was the most evil means of execution ever devised by man. No death was so agonizing. No shame was so humiliating. And they did that to Jesus. First came the scourging. Jesus was stripped and then forced to his knees, facing a low post. He was tied to a wooden shaft with his hands stretched above his head. Two soldiers retrieved short-handled whips made of leather strips tipped with lead balls and, and mutton bones. And then those soldiers took turns laying those lashes across his back, leaning in to each blow with all their might. As each lash was inflicted 
on our Savior. The leather thongs tore into his skin and muscles, even as the lead and bone created deep bruising. And this, in turn, led to profuse internal bleeding. It was like being flayed alive. Some men would bite their tongues in half as they were scourged. There was only one rule for those soldiers who whipped their victim. He must not die at the whipping post. A spark of life must be sustained just enough so that he could still experience the agony of the cross. Scourging was called the little death. It preceded the big death, crucifixion. As with all aspects of a Roman execution, the stripping and the lashing had a specific purpose. The public nudity humiliated, while the whip broke the victim's will, so he would offer no resistance when hurled to the ground and nailed to the cross. Jesus lay limp and bleeding after his lashes were administered. His executioners then forced him to stand and lifted a rough-hewn piece of lumber onto his shoulders. This would become the horizontal beam of his cross, and like all condemned men, Jesus had to carry it outside the city walls to a spot where a vertical pole in the ground would form the second part of his cross. He would be nailed to that cross with sharp five-inch spikes and left to die. That long, sadistic parade through the crowded streets served as a warning to all onlookers that Rome was a merciless master. You see, crucifixion was not just a barbaric way to kill. It was also a process of mentally and physically destroying the victim. There would be nothing left but an empty shell by the time that man hung from the cross. The five most common punishments for a condemned man in Rome were being hanged, burned alive, beheaded, drowned, or crucified. But as terrible as the first four could be, crucifixion was the worst by far. It was a fate so terrifying, a punishment so vicious, a death so horrible, that it was forbidden to execute Roman citizens in that manner. But that was exactly how Jesus died for us. Strangely enough, it was not the intense suffering from so many wounds that killed the victim, nor was it the massive loss of blood. You see, crucifixion was really death by suffocation. Every muscle of the body locked in torturous cramps, and the pain was beyond endurance. Many men shrieked themselves into insanity within just a few moments. And then as the hours dragged by, the only way the victim could expand his lungs enough to breathe was to straighten himself up by pushing on the nails that were in his hands and feet. The agony was unimaginable as he frantically gasped for breath and then fell back, tearing at the wounds in his hands and feet and causing even more injury and pain. And all the while, below the cross, the curious crowd gawked at the victim. Death should be a private thing, not a public spectacle. There's something obscene about having a mob standing around just waiting for you to die. But the victim would hang in full view of hundreds, helpless to stop his involuntary body functions that would stain the cross and compound their humiliation. Every hour was an eternity of torment. Eventually, the legs of most victims would be broken to hasten death and make the torturous process even more ghastly. 
They would literally beg and scream and plead for death to take them. But not our Jesus. He was in complete control the entire time. Jesus has been awake now for over 30 hours, arrested the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. He had been held prisoner all night as the Sanhedrin decided his fate in an illegal trial. Sent from the Sanhedrin to Pilate, to Herod, and back again, his weary body had been beaten by soldiers and whipped at the whipping post. His beard had been plucked, his clothing stolen, his face spat upon, and now he had been hanging on the cross for six hours. From nine to 12, the crowds came by to mock him. But since noon, he has hung there alone, save for a few friends and some soldiers. The crowds have fled to their homes because of a strange darkness that has covered the land. And it is during this time that our Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Only John records Jesus' next statement, perhaps because he was the one who was still there when all the other disciples had fled. Or perhaps it's because he writes 30 years later than the other three, and by then the church had developed a deeper and fuller understanding of exactly what happened when Jesus spoke these words at that precise moment on the cross. John records it in 19 and 30. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is three words in English, but only one word in the Greek language. Jesus cried out, Tetelestai, finished. It was the greatest word ever uttered by the greatest man who ever lived. Many films have been made in an attempt to depict the suffering of our Savior on the cross, but none could ever accurately portray his agony. And furthermore, they really missed the point. And you know what? We do too. Because it wasn't just that the Romans or the Jews or the Sanhedrin or Pontius Pilate did all these awful things to Jesus. Rather, Calvary, brothers and sisters, was God offering up himself as a sacrifice for our sins. Most of what happened on the cross couldn't even be seen by those who stood on Golgotha's hill because it happened in the spirit realm. You see, Jesus wasn't just dying for me. He was dying as me. He was taking my judgment upon himself. The Romans didn't crucify Jesus. The Jews didn't crucify Jesus. My sins and your sins crucified Jesus. And it is everywhere in the New Testament. Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 6 and 7, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Why, Paul? He said this, that henceforth, from this moment on, we don't have to serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. So we talk about the new birth. But the first step in the new birth is repentance. It is dying to your old way of life. It is dying to your sin. It is dying to yourself. 
It is dying to everything that you've done against God. And when we are crucified with him, the body of sin is destroyed. We don't have to be bound like we used to be bound. We don't have to be addicted like we used to be addicted. We don't have to be filled with guilt and shame like we used to be because that old man is dead. Paul writes in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He was made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. See, that's what they couldn't see that day when they stood on Golgotha's hill looking at a man being crucified. They couldn't see that he was dying as me and as you. They couldn't see that he was taking the curse of sin that belonged to us and he was literally taking it in to his own body. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul writes, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Our list was long. Our list was humiliating. Our list was offensive to God. And our list was hurtful to ourselves and our family. So much rebellion. So many sins. So many failures. So many mistakes. A long list. The handwriting of every law of God we had ever broken. It was contrary to us. It would have killed us. It would have taken us to an eternal punishment in hell. But Paul writes in Colossians 2.14 that Jesus took it out of the way. How did he do that? He nailed it to his cross. If you want to see my sins today, you would have to go to the cross of Calvary. You would have to wipe away blood, and you would have to look for the handwriting of ordinances that Jesus nailed there and covered with his blood. In short, you can't find it. In short, you can't go get it, because my sins are covered by his blood, forever forgiven by what he accomplished on the cross. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, Paul writes, and you that were sometimes alienated and you were enemies in your mind by your wicked thoughts, yet now he hath reconciled. How did he do it, Paul? He says it was in the body of his flesh through death so he could present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That was us. We were alienated from God. We were enemies to God. Every thought that we had, every word that we said, it was offensive to God because we lived in sin and we lived in rebellion. But in the body of his flesh through death, he took every sin, every hateful action, every lustful thought. He took it into his own body and he was crucified. And when he died, your sin died. My sin died, and all it takes is a trip to the cross to let his blood cover your sins, and you are free, and your sins are gone. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, we should now live unto righteousness. And then Peter can't help himself. He adds this. The blood doesn't just save us. The blood doesn't just forgive us. The blood doesn't just uh, purchase our salvation. He says this. By whose stripes ye were 
healed. The blood didn't just buy your forgiveness. The blood purchased your healing. And I speak right now to anybody watching this, anybody listening to this. The Bible says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destructions. You don't have to be in a healing crusade with an evangelist. You don't have to feel anything special. Anytime you were exposed to the preached word of God, whether it's in a home, in a Bible study, in a church sanctuary, or online, you are being exposed to the word of God right now. And I speak the words of Peter over you. By his stripes you were healed. The blood didn't just buy your salvation, it also bought your healing. The writer of Hebrews said this in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, we look at our children and we say, well, he looks like dad and she looks like mom. They are partakers of flesh and blood. But the writer says, Jesus also himself took part of the same. He became flesh and blood. He became a man. Why? That through death, see, God couldn't die. But if God could robe himself in a body of flesh, then he, through death, could destroy the one that had the power of death, the devil. And he could deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. That was us, brothers and sisters. All of our life, we feared death. All of our life, we did everything we could to prolong death, to put off death, to avoid death, because death is the greatest fear. And through the fear of death, we were subject to bondage all of our lives, but not now, because through his death, through Jesus dying in our place and dying for us, he, through his death, destroyed the one that had the power of death. That is the devil. Now, your Bible, you check it out. It says that Jesus knew no sin. The Bible says Jesus did no sin. And the Bible says that he had no sin. But that very same Bible that says Jesus knew no sin and did no sin and had no sin, that very same word of God says that Jesus was made sin. He died in our place, and he died taking our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin. Jesus became the lie without ever having been a liar. He became the adultery without ever having been an adulterer. He became every sick and twisted perversion without ever having had an impure tendency in his life. Jesus became sin for us. In the Old Testament, every sacrifice, every single one, was deficient. They could never hope to fully atone for sin. And that's why in the Old Testament, Sacrifices had to be offered over and over again. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11 and 12 says, Every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But then suddenly the writer shifts gears, and he points us to Jesus. And he says this, 
And I want you to notice this. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God in the place of eternal power and authority. Please notice that with all of the tabernacle and with the beautiful temple that was later constructed by Solomon, you'll notice that of all the beautiful furnishings inside, there was not a seat to be found anywhere. It was a symbol. It was a lesson. It was a type. It told those priests and the high priest himself that no matter how many sacrifices you offer, no matter how much blood is shed here, no matter how many animals lose their life in an atonement for sins to push them ahead one more year, over and over and over again, you will never be able to sit down in the tabernacle or in the temple. There's not a seat to be found. That's why the writer says, every priest standeth daily ministering. And they offer the same sacrifices over and over and over again. They're always standing. They're never seated. But then he shifts gears and says, but our Jesus, he didn't have to offer his sacrifice many times. He offered it once. And after he offered it once, he sat down on the right hand of God. Jesus was able to finish the job that no amount of animal sacrifice or shed blood could accomplish because Jesus was God robed in flesh. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 18, the prophet Elijah offers a sacrifice on Mount Carmel as he's facing down the wicked prophets of Baal. You remember the story from Sunday school. He placed that sacrifice of a bullock on a pile of wood on an altar of 12 stones. And then he dug a trench around the altar and he soaked everything with 12 barrels of water, so much so that the water filled the trench. Only then did the prophet pray for God's fire to fall. And when it fell, the fire of God's judgment consumed everything. There was absolutely nothing left no stones, no water, no wood, no sacrifice. There was nothing left. Because you see, in the Old Testament, under the law, God's judgment was always greater than any sacrifice they could offer. No matter how many animals were sacrificed, no matter how many feasts or festivals were held, no matter how many priests worked diligently every day, no matter... The fire of God's judgment was always greater than the sacrifice. There was always too much judgment for the sacrifice offered. But on Calvary, after Jesus had taken all of our sins, after he had taken our condemnation and our curse and our sickness and our death, and after Jesus cried out, finished, he was still alive. The sacrifice still remained. Jesus had to then dismiss his own spirit once the work was done. Why? Listen, it's so beautiful and powerful. You see, in the New Testament, because of God's grace and mercy, it's the opposite of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the sacrifice was greater than God's judgment. After Jesus had absorbed within his own body 
Every sin, every failure, every evil, every wickedness, every lust, every perversion, after he became sin for us, and the judgment of God fell on him, he became the curse for us, and the judgment fell on him at Calvary. He was still alive after the judgment fell. He was able to speak with authority and say, finished. It is accomplished. It is done. He was still alive to say that because his sacrifice was greater than God's judgment. Most of what happened on the cross was invisible to those people that stood around that day. But in the realm of the spirit, heaven and hell were at war. Hell was trying to keep us bound. Hell was trying to keep us in the fear of death. Hell was trying to keep us uh, addicted and in bondage, filled with guilt and shame and pain. Hell and heaven engaged in battle over the cross of Calvary. But I'm thrilled to tell you that hell lost and heaven won. No wonder the apostles after the resurrection of Jesus, they refused to talk about anything except the cross. And I would like to say to you, I don't need to know anything about you. I don't need to know anything about your past. I don't need to know anything about the guilt, the shame, the pain, the humiliation, the bondage, the addiction, the perversion. I don't need to know anything about that. I only need to know one thing. Have you made a trip to the cross? Have you been to the cross? Because the cross, it only has one word for us. And the word is not guilt. And the word is not judgment. And the word is not hatred. And the word is not pain. The word is finished. Everything you've ever done, if you'll come to the cross and let his blood cover your past, it is finished. The devil can't bring it up anymore. You don't have to suffer for it anymore. You don't have to pay the penalty for it anymore. There's just one word that matters over my life, and it is a word spoken on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. That word is finished. No wonder Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I don't need to know about where you've been. I only know, need to know if you've been to the cross. I don't need to know about what you've done. I only need to know if you've let the blood of Jesus cover your life. Paul said in Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I unto the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, this preaching of the cross, what I've shared with you tonight, it is to them that perish foolishness. The world doesn't understand it. They put it on the same level as a fable or a fairy tale. It is foolishness to them this preaching of the cross. But unto us which are saved, this preaching of the cross is the power of God. It can do anything for you. It can turn 
any situation around for you. It can forgive your past, no matter what that past may look like or sound like or have acted like. I want to close with this scripture. It's so powerful, especially when we read it just after Easter. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord. We know that happened 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday. God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up us by his own power. See, the truth of the resurrection is not just that Jesus got up. It's that you can get up. It's not just that he got up out of the tomb. It's that you can get up out of your sin, your shame, your bondage, your addiction, your guilt, and your past. Because the word from the cross for you is the word finished. You don't have to pay the price. Jesus paid the price. You don't have to take the curse. Jesus took the curse. And anything that you've ever done can be covered by the blood. I'm going to turn it back to pastor right now to close, but I want to say one word of prayer over you. I'd like you to just respond in prayer. Let your spirit reach out to God in prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for the privilege of preaching your word. And I thank you especially for the high privilege of preaching about the cross, your sacrifice for our sin. Your word over us is simply one word, finished. It's accomplished. It's done. It's paid. It's over. And so God, because you got up out of the grave, anybody listening right now can stand up, get up, and leave behind their past, leave behind their sin, and have a brand new life. If they've made fatal mistakes and taken horrible turns and made awful decisions, they can turn it around in a moment of repentance at the foot of the cross tonight. And I speak a delivering word over them tonight. And that word is finished. Jesus paid it all. In Jesus' name, I bless you tonight. Let God do what only he can do in your life.
spoken to us tonight from Pastor Woodward, finished. And I am so thankful that it is done. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ has paid the price for you and I, and we can have uh, forgiveness of sins. We can have remission of our sins. We can have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. And, and I'm so thankful, amen, that I am not bound to my sin and that hell did not win. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ has already won and paid the price for you and I. Tonight, if you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, the one who died for you, please contact us. We want to make the arrangements to help you to be baptized in Jesus' name. We will pray with you to receive God's precious gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And we are so thankful for the word spoken to us by Pastor Woodward. Amen. Why don't you let him know how uh, thankful you are? Why don't you post a comment or something that uh, lets him know uh, what a word has been spoken into your life tonight. Thank you so much for joining us. We have one night left of our After Easter Cyber Revival. Tomorrow night is going to be incredible. Uh, we are going to have a wonderful time and we are going to hear uh, from the Rimmers, which are children's evangelists.
they are uh, going to do a special uh, session just for our kids at six o'clock. And then at seven o'clock, we're going to hear from uh, Pastor Paul Pamer of Barberton, Ohio. And uh, you will not want to miss that. It's going to be incredible. Stay tuned for one more night. Thank you so much. God bless you. We're so glad that you've joined us. Share it. If you didn't get to see the whole thing, go back, watch the live replay uh, or watch the, the, the archive. And God is going to bless you. Share it with somebody and let them know. May God bless you. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow.